standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. Well, Father, I just come to you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I thank you so much for your great love and mercy to us. I thank you for gathering us here today on your Sabbath that you have given to us to rest in you and the assurance of salvation. And so I just pray you'd use me now, Jesus, not for any worth that's in me, not for any good that I've done. I just desire to be a blessing. I thank you so much for how you've called each and every one of us. And so those people who have been called by your name, whether in a, here today or would watch by video, I just ask for a blessing for all of us. And I thank you for your mighty love to us. And I pray all these things in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to the glory of our Heavenly Father. Amen. So the message today is about redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 as we begin. We're going to be in verse 13. Matthew 25 verse 13. And when I began to meditate on this, I thought, oh, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Do you know? that when I believe it's Jeremiah when he saw his condition and how he was in relation to his God and it says here in verse 13 excuse me will be in verse 14 it says for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods and said unto one or excuse me and unto one he gave five talents and to another two and to another one to every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. That's interesting, after a long time. And so... He that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered, said unto him, the, thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so as we think of this parable, the talents, what is the talent in the parable? 
I think Spirit of Prophecy does a wonderful job of revealing to us at least one aspect of what this talent may be because many of us think like, you know, just play to special music. Is that my talent to play music? Well, it's one of my talents and I'm in to increase it. Another talent I have is to speak for the Lord. I'm admonished to increase that. You have talents as well and the Lord admonishes you to increase them. If you don't increase them, what does he do? He takes them away and he will give them to somebody else. But let me read something to you from Spirit of Prophecy that gives some greater clarification on the talent. It says, our time belongs to God. Every moment is his and we are under the most solemn obligation to improve it to his glory. Of no talent he has given will he require a more strict account than of our time. The talent of time. The value of time is beyond computation. Christ regarded every moment as precious and it is thus that we should regard it. Life is too short to be trifled away. We have but a few days of probation in which to prepare for eternity. We have no time to waste, no time to devote to selfish pleasure, no time for the indulgence of sin. It is now that we are to form characters for the future immortal life. It is now that we are to prepare for the searching judgment. The human family have scarcely begun to live when they begin to die. I can testify to that. How many of you can testify that a little bit, getting a little bit senior? When you finally realize what life is, you know now you're dying. You don't have much more time. The man who appreciates time as his working day will fit himself for a mansion and for a life that is immortal. It is well that he was born. If you waste your time, it would have been better had you never been born. We don't want to waste our time. We are admonished to redeem the time, but time squandered can never be recovered. We cannot call back even one moment. The only way in which we can redeem our time is by making the most of that which remains, by being co-workers with God in His great plan of redemption. Every moment is freighted with eternal consequences. We are to stand as minutemen, ready for service at a moment's notice. The opportunity is now ours to speak to some needy soul. The word of life may never be offered again. God may say to that one, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, and through our neglect he may not be ready. In the great day of judgment, how shall we render our account to God? And that's taken from Faith I Live By, 158. Faith I Live By, page 158. We are to redeem the time because if we've wasted our time, if we've wasted the talent of time, we can't gain it back. All we can do is seek to redeem it. Let's look at a couple of those verses where this is brought out. In the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Ephesians 5, verse 14. It tells us here, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. Well, now who's sleeping right now? The church of Laodicea, right? The church of the Laodiceans, they're asleep. Time to wake up and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as what? As fools, but as wise. So another condition of Laodicea is what? They're time wasters. They're not walking circumspectly. They're not redeeming their time. In verse 16 it says, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. And if it ever was more evil now than it is now, I don't, can't think of it. We have a lot of evil now. We're told that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. They had hundreds of years to figure out evil inventions and evil devices. Now we've got technology to help speed the process up and 
teach us how to make evil inventions and evil devices. And our thoughts are on self continually. That was another condition of the Andalusian. Now, in the book of Colossians, turn with me there. Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Seems to me like this will be a message to the church of Laodicea to redeem the time. Because in verse 5 it says here, Colossians chapter 4, walk in wisdom toward them that are without or toward them that are foolish. Redeeming what? Redeeming the time. We walk in wisdom by redeeming time because time is the only real talent that we have that everyone has. Everyone has been given time. And I think it's interesting in the parable that he comes after a long time. So the Lord is faithful to give us plenty of time to prove whether or not we are going to measure up and do that which is required of us. Now, how does God look at us in giving accounts as it concerns this? Go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. How could we possibly be compared in relation to our use of time? In Matthew chapter 18, verse 23, I was meditating on these things and this, this came to me with a whole new weight of emphasis as we think about time and our stewardship of it and the value that it has. In verse 23 it says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of what? His servants. Not just one servant, but all servants. All servants must give account. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, if talent is time, then this one brought to, this, to the king owes a lot of time. He's been very wasteful. In verse 25 it says, But for as much as he had not to pay because he couldn't bring the time back, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord said to that servant, then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence, very small amount of time wasting or in relation to what this man had done. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. But he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So he's not willing to give patience and time to another servant to do what is right. But yet the king gave this man who owed lots of time more time. And cleared him of the debt. You know, really, if we've wasted our time, that's all we can do. We can fall at the feet of Jesus and plead for mercy because we can't pay the debt back. You can't go back and bring the time back and relive it. All you can do now is do what? Go forward and redeem it. Do all that you can then to make the time you have left worth something. And if you have lots of time, in other words, you're young, those of you that are listening to me that are young here today, then you want to do what's best with your time from this point forward, not wasting time. So we've got a real problem here if the talent is time because we've wasted time. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. How do we waste the time? Galatians 5. Galatians 5 shows the byproduct of time wasting. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. 
Galatians 5.19. What is time wasting? Now the works of the flesh are manifest, right? If we do the works of the flesh, we're manifesting a waste of time. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Now hopefully none of us fall into those categories. Idolatry, witchcraft. Hope we don't follow in that category. But hey, what about hatred? What about variance? What about emulations? What about wrath? What about strife? What about seditions? What about even heresy? Heresy is believing a lie. Have we not been involved in that? We've wasted our time. What about envyings? Have we envied others? Now, hopefully we're not murderers, we're not drunkards, we're not revelers, and such the like, of which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We cannot waste our time in things of the world because the world would drag us into this. So if we've wasted time, we are commanded to redeem it. Amen? So what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? We have to go forward with forgiveness for the past waste and make good on our future use of the great talent we've all been given. Now, if you go to Colossians, again to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. How are we going to redeem time? What do we do? Colossians 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. If we've wasted our time, and we need to redeem time, then what must we do to really redeem the time? We have to change our affection. We have to set our affection on things which are above, not on things which are beneath, because the things which are beneath cause us to waste time. Now, this is not something that our flesh will be inclined to do, brothers and sisters, because we are drawn downward by the flesh. We are only lifted upward by the Spirit, but the flesh, the container that we live in, is not naturally inclined to be spiritual. So this is a choice that we have to make. We have to fight self and look up, and by beholding, what happens then? We become changed. So let me read some statements to you that pertain to these ideas. It says, we would be greatly benefited by contemplating the mercy, goodness, and love of God, but we sustain great loss by dwelling upon those things which are earthly and temporal. We allow sorrow and care and perplexity to attract our minds to earth, and we magnify a molehill into a mountain. In speaking of that which we are called upon to endure, Paul says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look. At our difficulties, while we magnify our trials and think only of our hardships, is that what we do? Is that how we look? No. But while we look not at those things which are seen, but at those things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And that's taken from ST, January 9, 1893. ST, January 9, 1893, paragraph 2 and the quotes that I will be giving from now on will be pretty much from ST, January 9, 1893. So we could think of ourselves like Daniels.
because we are really to be Daniels here in the last days, surrounded by all kinds of earthly circumstance, unfavorable earthly circumstance for that matter, but we may be called or are being called to be like a Daniel, to be faithful amidst great trials and great difficulties. And how do we do this? Like Daniel did. He trained his mind heavenwards. Amen? He sought those things which were above, not those things which were beneath. And this actually is a discipline. We are not to be a toy to circumstances, but to be above circumstances. We are not to be controlled by circumstances. When we are placed in trying positions and find things about us that we do not like, that try our patience and test our faith, we are not to sink down in despondency, but to take a firmer hold upon God and prove that we are not setting our affection on things on the earth, but on things above. They were looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is to be our strength in every time of trial. God must be our sole dependence. When we drop God out of our reckoning and cease to place our affections upon Him, we deprive ourselves of great benefit. We cannot afford to do this, and God cannot afford to have us do it. Why? Because we have been bought with an infinite price, even the precious blood of His only begotten Son. God cannot afford to have us glorify the powers of darkness by turning our eyes upon things seen and temporal. For instead of being workers together with Him, we cast our influence on the side of the enemy. Now, this was very convicting to me, personally, because... I have a tendency to look on those things that are seen and are temporal and to get caught up in them. But that is a sin. We have to look above, amen? Otherwise, we end up casting our influence on the side of the enemy. Go with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 23. Luke chapter 12, verse 23. Luke chapter 12, verse 23. It says, as Jesus is speaking to his disciples about not taking thoughts for their life, for what they eat, what they should wear, it says in verse 23, the life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than of the fowls? And which of you with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit. If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not that which ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things, but rather seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where neither thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will what? Your heart or your mind be also. So if we're seeking those things which are above, then that's where our mind will be. And we'll be redeeming the time because we will be connected to heaven. And heaven is in the business of time magnification. Amen. Profitability. 
to spend our time there. The thing that really pops out to me is this, is provide yourselves bags which wax not old. How do we do that? By the faith which is above. Amen? We've got to get those bags from heaven because they're not found here on this earth. Everything on this earth waxes old as doth a garment. But something from heaven is eternal and lasts. Let me read you another quote. He says, At one time a lawyer came to Jesus and said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Is there anyone here that wants that question answered? Jesus turned the question back upon the questioner and said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? The lawyer answered him in a way that made manifest that he understood what the law comprehended. He quoted the words found in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, not giving half to the world and a third to self, but all to God. Will there be anything left for the world if we do such? There won't be, will there? He says, And with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. Our whole being is required in the service of God. No reservation is to be made. But someone says, Well, I do not know how I would succeed in the things of this world were I to carry out this instruction. Have you all wrestled with those kinds of temptations? I certainly have. How am I going to accomplish all this if I dedicate my time to the Lord? I can't get all these temporal things accomplished. You would succeed much better, for you would find that Godness is profitable unto all things, providing that which is essential for your welfare in this world and your happiness in the next. You would succeed much better, for you would have God to work with you. You would live as seeing Him who is invisible, realizing that you were working in the sight of the unseen world. Now, the Bible tells me that no man has seen God at any time except the Father. He is the invisible God. Amen? The Father. So therefore, if we will cast all ours on the side of heaven, all our talent of time on that side, seeking those things which are above, who do we have working with us personally but our heavenly Father? Amen? Well, you can't beat that, right? That really inspires me. I think about Exodus chapter 23 where it says, I will be an adversary unto thine adversaries and an enemy unto thine enemies. If we make Jesus our first, ba- uh, first, best, and last, then the Father says, I'm going to cover you. I've got you taken care of. I like that. Now, last time we talked about the angels, the angel of the Lord, and how Christ came close to his people. Well, we know from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Amen? He still draws close to us. Let me read you a quote that really supports that idea as well, because Jesus is here to work with us and to help us do this. It says, How few are constantly beholding the unseen guest, realizing that he is at their right hand. Jesus is with us. Amen? How many ignore his presence? Did we treat others as we treat Jesus? What discourtesy it would be thought. We should ever remember that he is at our right hand, that we should not be moved, and we should ever keep him in our view. If we don't do that, what will we do? we'll waste time. Amen? We won't redeem the time. If we don't keep Jesus in front of us, we'll waste our time because the world will come in and find something for us to do that will not typically ever be heavenward, will it? No. Now, it would be rude for us to have a friend in our presence, especially if we call him our best friend, and then give all our attention to everyone and everything else besides that friend that is with us. Amen? That'd be rude. We know that in the world. If I 
came in here with us. I said, this is my best friend. And then I never introduced them and just left them stand there and then just spent all my time with you and just ignore them completely. You all would go, what is wrong with Bill? That's not his best friend. We don't even know who that person is. It can't be his friend the way he's treating them. Amen. Is this how we treat Jesus? Let me read you another quote. It says, Jesus says, without me, ye can do nothing. Since this is our position, shall we permit our minds to wander to the ends of the earth? Shall we spend our probationary time in jesting and joking? Shall we fail to realize that it is a solemn thing to live? It's a solemn thing to live. You know, I thought about this not too long ago. We have a great chance in that we have been given life because we have a chance to be children of the king for all eternity, something that nobody else is being offered. And the more difficult your life has been, the greater chance you're being offered, if that makes sense. Because where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So if you've got some problems, guess what? There's a lot of grace to help you. So, and I can speak for myself, I know I can speak for myself, instead of having a pity party saying, woe me, woe me for my life circumstances, we say, no, praise God for his grace to overcome all those circumstances, understand that God never wastes pain, and he wants to use us to help others, wherein we may comfort those by the same hope that we've been comforted with, amen? So we've been given a great chance, and so then it is a serious thing to live. Let me keep reading here. Men generally agree that it is a solemn thing to die, but it is a far more solemn thing to live. Why? Because every soul surrounds itself with an atmosphere that has a telling influence upon those with whom we are brought in contact. Many gather to themselves the atmosphere that breathes from the powers of darkness. Even professed followers of Christ often permit the hellish shadow of Satan to interpose between the soul and God. Their thoughts, their words are of cheap, common order, and they give others the impression that religion is a cheap thing. Oh, we cannot afford to give any such instruction. We who may be imbued with the Spirit of Christ, who may have His love in our hearts, His vivifying influence in our souls, should shed upon men a beneficial influence. We should be co-partners with Jesus. These are the truths upon which we should dwell. Our bodies are built up from what we feed upon. In our minds, our experiences will be after the order of that which compose our spiritual food. Jesus says, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. We are to realize to what we are called in Christ. By faith we are to attain unto his righteousness. Since this is the standard of our attainment, how can any of us be satisfied with our present attainments? If we have been dwelling upon things said, seen, excuse me, if we have been dwelling upon things seen and temporal, let us turn our attention to the things unseen and eternal. We have to do that. Amen. Or we're wasting our time. She goes on to say, let us not wait for a revival in the church or for special conviction, but realizing our need and knowing that all heaven is at our command, let us now yield our hearts to God. Let us not think that we may wait until some conference meeting, until a large company is called forward to seek God's blessing. It is best for us to be awake individually, today yielding our hearts to God. Decide now to dedicate yourself to Him, not only as a congregation, but as individuals. 
Decide to seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Do not wait one for another. Do not look about you to see if your neighbor is going to make a surrender, but realizing that each one of us must give an account of himself to God, that we have a living Savior who is our substitute and surety, draw nigh to God. We're going to have to give an account for our time. Amen? So now is the time to draw nigh to God. Not to wait, because that would just be more wasting of time. We do it now. Amen? Now, in closing of all this, we have some precious promises, though, to help us. Go with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Because we're not left without hope. And that's what's so wonderful about the God we serve. He doesn't leave us without hope. And hope rejoiceth against judgment. Amen? Mercy rejoices against judgment. We have hope and mercy in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In verse 1 it says here, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, or excuse me, of Jesus Christ our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to his to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We have been given promises, brothers and sisters, promises to help us escape the corruption that is in the world full of lust. Our last quote today says, Christ died in behalf of the world. Our Heavenly Father has valued us at the price of Jesus, and having been bought at such a cost, what right have we to spend our God-given capabilities in the service of the world in sin? What right have we to fritter away our time to use our talents in aiding the work of the powers of darkness? Set your affections on things above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Religion means the making of a daily consecration of yourself to God. It means meekness and lowliness of heart. It means to take, away, to take everything that comes to you as a blessing to let praise flow back to God. The Lord says, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. As we praise God, the soul becomes stronger in spiritual power. Someone said that to me this week. Instead of looking on the circumstances and what a problem they are, Praise God for them and the blessing that they are to us. And it opens up the channel for answers to bring us out of those things that we see as so hard and so difficult. They come to us through God our Father. Let me keep reading. At morning, noon, and night we should meditate upon the goodness and love of God, that we may know God, for this is life eternal. The Father has given the best gift the greatest treasure of heaven to us, and we are of value to God and should render praise to Him. But when we surround ourselves with a dark atmosphere, we forget that the Father knows our trials and has sent them to us in love. That's powerful. Let me read it again. But when we surround ourselves with a dark atmosphere, we forget that the Father knows our trials and has sent them to us in love. So he knows what you're going through. Amen? And he sent them to you out of love to drive you to him. The praise that should reach him never comes to his throne, for our affections are not centered upon him. Remember, redeeming the time to set your affections on things 
which are above. But if we get caught up in circumstance and difficulty and we become complaining and fretful, worrying ourselves out of the hand of God, we're not redeeming time. We're stealing time. Make your appeal to heaven, knowing that what God has said he will do and will make his light shine through you to others. You may not know that you're giving light to others, but God will know it. While the conference was assembled in South Lancaster. Now this is the closing thought here. While the conference was assembled at South Lancaster, a faithful old sister was dying, and she sent in this message to those assembled. The anchor holds. This is what we want. A hope that we can cast like an anchor, entering into that which is within the veil. We want to be able to bear testimony that the anchor holds in the time of sickness, trial, or bereavement. In our darkest hours, we want to be able to see matchless charms in Jesus to set our affections on those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, that our life may be hid with Christ in God, that when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we also may appear with him in glory. Our anchor can hold, amen. Our anchor can hold. We can go forward with steadfastness of purpose. We can make a decision today that we are going to redeem time, that we will set ourselves and our affections on things which are above and heavenward and allow the Father to be glorified in us. Amen? And as we close with one more thought, taken from Numbers chapter 23, in case anyone's wondering, is this possible? Is this possible for me? Well, Numbers 23, verse 19 would be our answer. Your answer, my answer, everyone's answer. Verse 19 of Numbers 23. God is not what? Not a man. Amen? Because men don't tell the truth. Because it says right here, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. He hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Amen? So he doesn't admonish us to redeem the time and to set our affections on things which are above as part of that time redemption if he's not going to then redeem the time through us. Amen? If he's not going to forgive us as the king forgave the unfaithful steward who had wasted time. I don't know if that steward would have thought the king was forgiving. I mean, by all rights and means, if you owed someone, I think close to about $16 million, I think is about what it would equate to in our 10,000 talents. I think it's about $16 million, if I'm not mistaken. I think I looked it up one time. You know, it would make sense that, you know, the man should have been sold and his household and everything else because if someone owed $16 million in the world, you need to at least collect something on that. But just to forgive the whole debt, the whole debt was forgiven. It shows the nature of the king, the heart of the king. It was one of mercy. It's a lesson to us. It's a typology that shows that we can have a great debt. We can have not done what was right. And yet the king that calls us to account, we live in the investigative judgment, that calls us to give a record of our life. He says, I will have mercy if you will ask me for mercy. But then in all that as well, we must extend mercy to others. But we know that we have a God that is that loving and merciful to us. And he will do these things in us. And he's not a man that he can lie. Nor is the son of man that he should repent. Amen. Hath he not spoken? And will he not make it good? He will. He'll make these things good in our lives if we want them. Do we want them? 
Amen. I know I want them. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I thank you so much for the simple lessons that come through to us in the Scriptures, the simple things that take our affections off this world and set them on those things which are above. Time really is short. We don't have much time to use to redeem. The world lieth in wickedness, and you have a work for your people to do. And you've promised that you're going to send forth a people, an 11th hour worker, a worker when the time is very short, but will do great things, will do exploits, I pray that we'd be accounted worthy to do such. Myself and all those under the sound of my voice, whether here today or would watch this in video. And Jesus, I just thank you for your loving mercy to us. I thank you that you gave your life that we might be able to redeem the time, the time which is wasted. You cover our past with your precious blood and you give us a future by your righteous life. Let us lay hold of it. And I pray all these things in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to the glory of our Heavenly Father. Amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth.